It's May 30th, 2006, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. This is Chris Millard. hope all you regular NACOcast listeners will stay tuned for the end of this program today. It's the week you've been waiting for, the announcement of the winner of our iPod Nano. Today on the podcast, we're going to continue our conversation with NAC music director Pinka Sukerman. Last week, you may remember, we had a very interesting discussion about Boeing, which is a huge subject in the symphony orchestra business. Pinkas has joined me again this week, and our subject today is going to be some of the decisions that he makes when, when Boeing, and the material is going to be, is it your favorite composer, Johann Sebastian Bach? It's one of them. So from one of the solo partitas, perhaps? Well, the biggest argument, always, in modern times, should we play Bach with a Baroque bow, meaning something, well, you can't play with a round bow because we don't have that kind of ability to do that. Uh, I guess you could, but I, I really, I've tried loosening the hair completely and actually just holding it and it doesn't work for me it doesn't work but a mozart bow which is lighter it's a little shorter it doesn't have all the iron stuff on the bottom in the frog so it has you can push down further and it will never scratch it will never kill the sound it's just inherent in that particular bow it's a little different grip uh well it could be i mean you don't need to change the grip but you can you go up a little further it's a little shorter. It doesn't have all this make this stuff here. It just has. We do put a little bit of a place now to hold it, a little uh, leather thing. But the the point being that it, it's a lighter sound. It sounds a. The, the baroque, the, the Mozart bow is that quality. And to get this, I have to really work very hard with the so-called modern bow. What we really hear with the modern bow naturally is this. So. Tchaikovsky. You, in the, with the Mozart bow, you'll hear. Let's articulate. Let's take a classic example of Mozart challenge, which is the uh, overture to Magic Flute. Yeah, but that's that's so crossing strings. Show, show us, show us, uh, show the listener what we're talking about. I can't there. remember how, how's it go. Yep, up, 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 get it, get up. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what key is that in? E flat. E, no? e flat. so hard with this bow. Why is it so difficult? Because it's heavy. Because the bow's heavy. Yeah. So you have to you have to compromise. Uh, as a as a section player you have to go Ugh, I can't even do it. I can't do it. <laughs> I have to play so light. Yeah. I'm just not trained to do that. Uh, that's hard. Very hard. Now mind you, some people might not play every note in the section while we're playing it, you won't hear it because there'll be at least another seven or eight playing with them. So it covers up. But the biggest argument in Bach is, should we play... It's a double of one of the pieces. Or... Just more on the string. On the string, because spiccato really didn't exist. I mean, that actual word didn't exist. Define for us spiccato... It's a release of the bow from the from the string, because the bow ostensibly is a spring. 
so you bounce it. You want to release. You want to. You don't hold on. You just curl your fingers and bend your thumb, and you drop the bow with the elbow going first. That feels that's staccato, uh, spiccato. That's it. And you're playing a down bow spiccato. Ricochet, yes, but going back and forth. Eventually, you narrow it. Same motion with fingers and thumb. So show me that passage from Bach again, clearly spiccato. And your other option was more martelet. Detaché. We call it detaché. Now, Milstein, because the way he played, he played in slightly, his fingers on the bow were slightly in an angle. He also didn't like that sound. He wanted to hear a sort of springy light, not light, 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 but kind of a uh, aspect of the violin, as he used to say, violin play along. <laughs> so he would go... Kind of a mixture of Mixture things. of on and off, yeah. We can do that with that modern bow. With the Mozart bow, you can still do it. It would sound very different, though. It would sound a lot lighter. Now comes all the stuff of ha short, ha long, should the note be. Should it be... Or so I don't know. What words do you use to describe those different strokes? Well, this would be kind of a. It starts with a martale stroke, but very soft. It's not. So, okay, a martale stroke, by definition, is catch release. You squeeze the bow down. You're squeezing the bow right to the string. Then the fingers and thumb release. So it's very, in your case, there's very little motion of the arm. It's all in the fingers and wrist, yes? In this particular sound, yeah. Okay. But then if I do a long one, it, lots of arm. It's a release. Everything is a release. Okay. Where does this word come from? Release? Martelet. It's a French word for attack. It comes from Dunis, beginning of the last century. But, Chris, it's also very important that, that parallel with the bow, uh, parallel with the bridge. The bow is parallel with the bridge at point of attack, okay? Point of attack. And then you go out, meaning you go parallel at sounding point. See, if I go uh, the other way, which is going the natural elbow, natural way where we were born. So let me describe to our listener the differences that I see here. In the first case, the bow is exactly parallel to the bridge itself, if you can imagine both at zero degrees angle. Now, in, the, in this example, as he makes the down bow, the arm is going away from the body, and it's closing and producing a, an angle between the bow and the bridge. It go, it, you open from the elbow. Right, so... Or we call it out. The tip of the bow is going towards his head, and the, and the uh, frog of the bow is going away from his body. Now, the other option is... This one, which is the natural movement of the arm. In this case, the tip of the bow is going away from the head, and he's bringing his arm back into his body. Okay, now let me play what how we teach this. Again. Now some kids will come in and go... Now the big difference that I see there is that the stroke, he's, you're, you're pulling the, the arm constantly back into the body. Yeah. It's called sounding point. Direction, we call it. Direction. Mm -hmm. 
because we have to take the natural motion of the arm and actually do the opposite of what Okay, well, what is the natural motion of the arm in a bow arm? It's a circular motion. Oh, in a, in a bow arm. It's the opposite of what the natural movement of the arm is from the elbow. It's a semicircle. It's like a half a moon. So it's... it's you're, going the other, you're going to completely the, the other way. The biggest challenge for a fiddle player at this point is is keeping uh, keeping the bow parallel with the bridge because the the frog, the, the bottom of the bow wants to be brought in towards the body as you make the down bow. Right. Now, your choice in Bach, we don't want to do really off. We want to go in between. You don't want to go if you call on, somewhere in between. So you're doing a bunch of things here, which is what the knowledge of the bow is. Eventually it becomes your DNA that brings out the sound that you want. Mm-hmm. And it's rather remarkable because you have all kinds of, in Bach, for example, the rotation movement in the preludium of this particular partita, it's in the first movement. It's crossing two strings. It's a, it's, a, it's a real circular motion with the wrist. Yeah, so what's beautiful here is that in, in his hand, the bow is rotating so that in one stroke, one side of the bow hair is, 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 is touching the string, and in the next part of the stroke, the other side of the bow hair is touching the string. A little bit. Now, detaché. Now, that's mm-hmm. starting on a down bow, Chris. Now, the up bow... It makes opposite. and it's physically more awkward. In, the, in theory, sometimes in practice, not sometimes, most of the time in practice, when you have an ascending arpeggio, ascending scale, you go with the bridge. You actually can rotate, so you go on a down bow. And you're starting, and you're starting at the frog. Well, you could. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you start. I'm just. There's a little bit of a body movement. The, vi- the violin is, is rotating out. It's pronating out over the shoulder Just a little bit. the same angle as you see the bridge. It's, it's yeah. a tiny bit of an angle, that's all. Now, for musical purposes, there are a lot of times you will go... Also, for Just, color. And that was an up bow. That's an up bow. Now, arpeggio... Always, like in Sibelius Concerto, for example. By putting the bow on a string, you slow the motion down. Attacking it, but on a down bow. Each of those arpeggios, those ascend- ascending arpeggios, you're beginning with a down bow. What would it sound like beginning with an up bow? Horrible. It's totally backwards. And partly because of what you have to do on the on the next downbeat. No, it's nothing no? to do with it. No, it's just it's it's wrong. Looks you, very awkward. Oh, it's horrible. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to do it. You should. You should have your choice of what you want to do. That's why we practice that bow. Is it a goal in your practice, in your teaching, in your career, to make an up bow and a down bow as equal as possible? Most of the time, depending where. Is it your goal in your leadership of an orchestra that you want your string players (laughs) to have that ability? No, because everybody's different. And that's what's beautiful about playing in a section. There's a complete and absolute way of playing in an orchestra and playing as a soloist. And the example I always... If I was playing it alone, I'd go... Mendelssohn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, there are many pieces, but 
the amazing thing is what you have to do, you almost have to detach yourself from what you know how to play, the instrument, how you know how to play. You have to get this incredible, I call it subjectivity, but I guess it's objectivity of knowing that you can't produce that sound, you'll stick out. I can't do it. I've tried, I've set an orchestra, I stick out. If you took the Mendelssohn Scherzo, as you just did, and presented it as a piece of fluff at the end of a recital, just for you solo and your pianist, would you make Boeing choices that would be quite different from how you would play it in, in a section? Not this particular piece, no. There's one way of doing it, and that's it. You can't, you can't you do it the other way, it's completely backwards. They're like going up a hill with a car backwards. In, in first gear. Yeah, and <laughs> so uh, w where would there be choices that you would be making for a group in one piece that would be different for you playing the same piece by yourself? Well, <clears throat> I just what's fresh in my mind is, for example, the Beethoven the second piano concerto. Mm -hmm. That's so. The first note is down, then down, up, down. Up, up. Uh, I like that because it, it presents no problems. But in the section? Yeah, in the section. It will present no problems. Yeah. No, if you just look at the physical. Some people go. And if you're making a decision for you, is if this is a, a solo sonata of Beethoven, this passage? Oh, I probably play. Totally different. Ah, in the piano, you see, but in the piano, I go. The least problematic for the section. Let's go back to Bach. Okay. Now, the most difficult thing in Bach is how much release in the left hand do you need in order to make it sound harmonically correct. Now, you, in, you're using the word release to describe vibrato, vibrato as a relaxation well, of the sound. Vibrato again. didn't exist. Vibrato did not exist. Yes. The interesting thing about the use of the word release, to me it reminds me of Michelangelo talking about seeing sculpture, and he sees the Madonna and the child in the block of marble. It's already in there. Absolutely. And he's releasing the excess material. It's exactly the same thing. Okay. That's good. I like that. That's okay. exactly right. You're free to use that. No, no, I use the David of Michelangelo. Okay. To me, that when I saw that, I stopped breathing. Because I said, how can that be so perfect? Yeah. And we humans and stuff. But he saw it. He saw it inside that initial block of, of marble. You can. You can see how he did it. So you see within a simple sound of the violin the potential for the color that you release. It's an, it, I find it subjectively such an, an interesting approach because so often, certainly in, in my... Uh, growing up as a wind player, vibrato is something that you develop and add on to the sound. It's something that you put into the sound. It's it's something that you use in order to sound vocal. Yeah, we do too. Yeah, and That's uh, exactly uh, the same. ultimately it's, it sounds the same. But it's interesting the word release that it that, that it's all there. Because there's been these arguments the last twenty some years about what's authentic playing, what isn't. In that, so the words themselves already are wrong. Because to play with non vibrato is actually very difficult. Yes, it is. Um, so when you begin, you, you started by saying that the big argument in Bach is, is this question much, of re right. release. release okay. yeah. So the virtuoso, the Tchaikovsky Paganini virtuoso player will come to Bach at the age of 16, 17, and they'll play the Chacon and they go... But that's a whole bunch of stuff there, you know, because we've learned to go... 
that's what we learned to do, to win competitions and play all the bazzinis and sarsates and everything, because that's fiddle music. That's what we learn how to play. Some better, some worse, you know. Now comes a whole musical education that is not there. Where you have to start is with chamber music, of course. Because immediately when you sit down to play a, a trio or quartet, you're already in a different mode altogether. So that becomes the evolution that you have to now bring into the solo repertoire. So you use the opening of the Chacon as an example. Well, I can use many. I can go... Oh, I've heard those fiddle players in competition play all those Bach with that vibrato going a mile a minute. But actually, it's completely wrong because there was no vibrato. It's a release. And if again, if well, the way I try to show them is if you pluck the string, you see the string moving. And on the bass, on the cello, and viola, because the string is thicker and longer, you see even more movement. That's approximately how much you want to hear when the violin, when the hand moves. Of course, no one can really do it that way because there's no distortion to the actual harmonic. That's all. And essentially, it's the same as if you walk into a good acoustical church, which is what this music was played at and written for, Gregorian chant before that, there is a wave inside the building. Show me the chacon as, it, as you think it would have been played. Well, I'm playing, don't forget, I'm playing with a mother and bow. So right Granted, there, so there's already compromises in the... In the compromise in the right sense, not compromise in the wrong sense. In other words, I won't go... I don't attack it like Brahms, you know. I'll play softer. amount of self-restraint, if you like. If you played this with no release in the left hand at all, this has more vibrato than the note that I played pressing down. Look how it vibrates. What does this feel like to you to play it this way? Do you feel that... <laughs> you don't really want to... No, 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 but tell me, do, do you feel that each of the, all of this sound is just waiting to, to use your word, to, to, to be released, that the potential, the singing potential of the note is just waiting to be released? The singing, yes, but it's more than that. It's a bunch of overtones. It all sounds out of tune to me, number one. Number two, the instrument is, this instrument, meaning the instrument we play today, it was born around 1600, the idea, 1500 and some, with Amati, is an acoustical marvel. If Amati didn't want it to vibrate, he would make it so, meaning a release in the wood. The wood itself, when, they, when it's in the white, before it starts being carved, they listen to the note, they cluck it. That has so much vibration in it. You hear something that not everyone hears in the and the word the the words are so similar and yet they can pull pull the understanding into different directions to vibrate and to use vibrato <laughs> well yes to vibrate meaning you you're actually thinking thinking i'm going to vibrate but you have to teach somebody to say hey vibrate you have to say that but then comes a whole restriction order if you like 
how much, how little, consistent, not consistent. It comes from physical ability, hearing ability, harmony, of course, because I play an F sharp. I don't play harmonically correct. I play it up. It's a leading tone. What's interesting, uh, the way I describe that, in order for people to begin to hear, what's my hand playing a fifth in an E minor chord? So I'm playing an E and a B on a D and A string, and the G open G and an open E. Watch my hand move in order to make it in tune. I have to move the, my hand up for the B natural, for the fourth to be in tune. Because the overtone is smaller on top, I have to increase the pitch on the B natural, otherwise it stays it's out of tune. It's almost a quarter tone. Isn't that a phenomenon? Yes, it's extraordinary. Okay. Well, it's the same thing. It applies to making a vibrato. If you're going... That distorts the, the overtone. That's bad vibrato, bad release, bad technique. You definitely should never use that. So contained within the harmonic structure of any, of any simple note on any instrument, there's a very complex set of relationships that we call the partials. What you're describing is a technical approach where you enhance that and do not alter it. You only alter it if you're insecure and if you don't know enough. And the, the worst one is when the so-called Bach players today, authentic Baroque players, will use the bow in the worst possible manifestation, which is a kind of like a throwing up motion. It's like, we make fun of it. Why do you do that? It's not written that way. That, those, those hairpins come in much later, 100 years later, where you have these hairpins that are finally used for all kinds of harmonic indications. Nothing to do with technique. So they go. That's nonsense. And eventually the hairpins become useful for controlling the hair. Mine or yours? <laughs> Pinkus, I wonder if you would be kind enough for our lis listeners to finish this podcast with a short movement from Bach, just as a treat for us all. Mm. Music Director of the National Arts Centre Orchestra, Pincus Zuckerman.
And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, the draw for the iPod Nano. As you may recall, a few weeks ago I asked the question, in a program discussing Verdi's Falstaff, I quoted from a famous American literary critic, and I asked for the name of that critic and the book. Well, it was, of course, from Harold Bloom's Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human. Bloom is one of my favorite writers, and his study of how Shakespeare's illumination of human nature through characters like Hamlet and Falstaff have given rise to our modern sense of self, and it's a provocative read. Thanks to all of you who sent in correct answers and feedback on the show. Honorable mentions go to the following folks who will receive a NACOCAST coffee mug. Justin Ferraro of Navan, Ontario. Pascal Bourque of Saint-Julie, Quebec. Tim Stutt from Ottawa, Ontario. Jared Gilbert from St. Louis, Missouri. And Bud Reed from Ottawa, Ontario. And the winner is Michel Fortin of Longueuil, Quebec. Congratulations, Michel. We'll be sending your new iPod Nano out in the next week. Well, that's all for this edition of the NACOcast. I hope you can join me next week when I have a discussion with our POPs principal conductor, Jack Everly. Send us your comments and questions. You can always reach us by sending an email to nacocast at gmail.com. We always look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts. You can easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. Until next week, this is Christopher Millard saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.